Fearscape Media Network, exploring the unknown, one podcast at a time. Hi friends, this is Kelly with Wishful Drinking and Binge Thinking, the podcast where I get just absolutely hammered and I dole out psychological advice. That's right, I am going to be more drunk than that girl you met in the bar bathroom after your karaoke set who said, you have such good stage presence, oh my god. That's right, zero preparation, multiple drinks, countless profound gems. Tune in the last Monday of every month on Fearscape Media Network. Hi, do you enjoy diving into true crime and tales of the paranormal? Then join us. I'm Anna. And I'm Lindsay on our podcast, Ghosts in the Attic, Bodies in the Basement. A Fearscape Media Network podcast. New episodes air every other Friday on wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. We are on a journey to understand and to discover the phenomena that seems to exist all around the globe. We invite you to join us on this journey into the unknown. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another frightening and spooky, ooky episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Ooh, ha, my name is Stefan, and I'm one of your hosts <laughs> of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast here on the Fearscape Media Network. I've got chills up my spine, but I feel like it's the devil that's making me do this. But I have to introduce my co-host, Mr. Josh Rutledge. I mean, you look like Lucifer, Beelzebub, and Baal all had a baby. And made you well i am horny so mm-hmm. you are the lord of the flies <laughs> um and the devil's in the details is what they the say devil, devil is in the details <laughs> um so in case you've heard us the devil made me do it that is because we are going to be talking about tonight the uh case that inspired the uh new movie coming out here in two days uh on hbo max and in theaters the conjuring three the devil made me do it uh the arn cheyenne uh shit i can't johnson thank you you just say what it's called josh you just say what it's called (laughs) the arn cheyenne johnson case Correct. That is made famous, of course, by the Warrens having their uh, fingers diddling and everything. Um, But this is the famous case, uh, the first and I think we said only time that uh, the uh, the plaintiff's defense was that he was possessed by the devil. Right. Yep. Yep. And not and not pleading insanity. Right. Just literally just saying I was literally say, yep. Yep. I'm not insane. 
I was literally possessed by the devil. That's the only reason I did it. Twarn't my fault. You see, what had happened was uh, <laughs> the devil jumped in me. I tripped um, and fell. I tripped and, and fell. <laughs> uh, so needless to say, we wanted to talk about this whole case, the trial of Arn Cheyenne Johnson, the whole kit and caboodle, this murder, everything that took place, the Warren's fingers in it, and uh, how it all led to a new movie coming out. We wanted to make sure to talk about that. Plus, because we, you know, we love anything dealing with the Warrens, whether it's a hoax or not. It's just good fun. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about that. But before we get to that, let's go ahead and get to our um, first segment of the week, of course, which is the psychic word of the week. And now, the psychic word of the week. All right, psychic word of the week comes from the encyclopedic psychic dictionary from uh the one and only miss junji blesser phd rest in peace honey bear represent um so we flipped through the pages i uh, landed on page 596 and uh the first phrase that caught my eye was subconsciously willed subconsciously willed which is mm-hmm. ironic of course as usual um, this says a mental or physical psychic experience that is thought to be unplanned, undesired, and unwilled, happening spontaneously and at random, excluding the psychic experience that is brought on by crisis from one's lifestyle, a deceased person, or loved one. No guide from the higher realms will thrust his or her will upon the psychic to display signs of phenomena or urge to intervene with the psychic unless called upon. The subconscious mind cannot make Make a decision by itself therefore cannot be blamed for the surfacing without permission theory unplanned psychism is a hidden desire in the subconscious mind the individual wishes to excel in some phase of his or her life wishes secretly to increase his or her psychic skills uh, or used psychism freely in a past life and is now surfaces from a past life agreement psychic and mediumistic skills should be controlled by the psychic at all times so subconsciously willed so that's that's your subconscious using a psychic skill that you have dormant correct or or unaware of uh that's not that's not someone else's sub subconscious messing with correct you. so the, the, that's why i thought it was ironic that that's what we flipped to because it, it almost it almost feels like possession like you know if, if possession's not a real thing right if it is a subconscious thing that that is legit that it's you know yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's your subconscious taking over your conscious hmm. um, interesting psychically so very very interesting indeed um but yeah that i don't i don't want that to happen to me no well and and it's interesting for me because i am uh trying to grow my own skill set if you will in this area um and so it's something that now i have to be aware of and and because you know one of the definitions there it said that someone who wants to expand their own you know, a psychic ability can accidentally or inadvertently. Yeah, I mean that's exactly happen. the first phrase says unplanned. It is yeah. unplanned. Um, so. You know, so be careful. Uh, yeah, so uh, I guess we'll get get moving on to the next bit here. But I I, I did want to remind folks um, to go ahead 
and rate and review the show if you haven't done already yet. I wanted to knock this out ahead of time. Uh, just go ahead. It helps us out a lot wherever you're listening to your podcast. Rate, review, share, all that jazz. We love you. Uh, moving on. So I wanted to because I got somebody picking at my toes underneath me because he is ready to talk about uh, Cryptid of the Week because it's been a minute. So, uh, yeah, Jersey Devil is ready. So let's get into Cryptid of the Week. Hi, y'all. It's the Jersey Devil. Hope y'all are ready to meet some of my friends. Cryptid of the Week. Come right up to the microphone that I could talk today, and I wanted to tell you that I, I wanted to do the Spotsville monster. He's a friend of mine. I'll tell you what, he's a really good friend of mine, and I used to try to put Tide on him all the time to try to remove those spots, and he says, no, you fool, I'm from Spotsville. I don't have spots on me. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thanks thank for that for, Thank you for additional the introduction, insight. J.D., we appreciate it. Um, yeah, uh, be on the lookout. We got uh, Jersey Devil, some cool stuff coming out with Jersey Devil. I'm just letting you know. Y'all gonna tell them about Santosh? Santosh did a, did a, uh, I don't even know what you call it. Like, you know, where you paint Car- someone, you know, Car- like caricature. Caricature is more cartoony, but this looks exactly like him. So, um, but did did a, a private session where they drew him, and so uh, be on the lookout soon. We're hopefully gonna have some T-shirts and um, stickers and stuff uh, with the Jersey Devil. You're gonna love it because he's beautiful. Uh, anyway, Spotsville Monster is what we have. Uh, the reason that we chose this tonight was that uh, we haven't done a Kentucky one yet. Uh, and so wanted to uh, hit this one up. This one actually comes from Spotsville, Kentucky. Uh, so the Spotsville Monster, which is essentially a Bigfoot-like creature. Uh, but here's here's the... Uh, the thing here from Cryptid Wiki says during the year of 1975 in Spotsville, Kentucky, the Nunnally family uh, home was terrorized by mysterious eight foot tall creatures. Now, Nunnally is a very big family name in Kentucky. I believe oh, yeah. even oh, a yeah. uh, parkway named after them. I could be wrong on that. Uh, their nightmare was written about in the newspapers and even broadcast on TV shows. But the mystery as to what was roaming the quiet western Kentucky town outside of Henderson remains. On Sunday, uh, oh, I don't know why it says on Sunday, but um, so Bart Nunnally, which is one of the family members, he described what happened on their property. Um, and so here's kind of how him and his family felt about the strange things that took place on the farm. So this is a very particular story. There's not a lot of other sightings that I could find besides the Nunnally family. So here's their story. Uh, The Spotsville monster um, was considered to have had various encounters with that family, was supposedly big, hairy, uh, supernatural Bigfoot type monster. Um, And there was other strange phenomena as well. In the lonely bottomlands of Western Kentucky, the bulk of the work centers on the 11-month ordeal experienced there by the Nunnally family in 1975. The remainder uh, is the result of 20 years of investigative field research into the area and the occupants of Mound Ridge Road from 1935 to the present. So the story begins in... uh, 
that year, uh, 1935, with a devout widower and her two children residing in a small, isolated farmhouse on Mound Ridge Road. At this time, the area was part of a really small town, but its population was dwindling fast because of a frightening monster said to dwell in the foreboding forests there. After a traumatic encounter, uh, people left the area as well. And I mean, that people just were like gone because of this monster, these stories of this monster. So uh, already this is 1935. This is even before the big sighting, right? So then we jumped to 1975 as the Nunnally family um, having had a ton of years unhappy in the city decided to uh, move to the country and they make their entrance there eager to return to the simplicity of country living the Nunnally family ignores the warning given them by the current residents about said monster and they waste no time moving in so here we are 35 40 years later and people are still like y'all crazy for moving here we've put up with it we leave our babies on the step and we let them eat our dogs, y'all are dumb for making it. Well, and that kind of stuff sticks around in a community anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, But anyways, it says the Nunnallys are already a somewhat troubled and unusual family. I I feel like that's the... uh, just in case, you know, you think that this is real, I'm going to go ahead and spoil it here. Uh, but anyways, it's always like the back door there. Uh, so we've got Red. Red is the husband and father to six young children. Uh, he's rough and tumble. He's no nonsense. Uh, he suffers from glaucoma. They are at heart simple country folk fo- forced to live in the city by a series of strange encounters with the unknown at their previous country home three years earlier. Uh, the disturbing memories forgotten in the hope of a better life quickly resurface when their farm animals begin to disappear. Enter Roy. This is a great story. Enter Roy, a fearless local firefighter and expert tracker hunter who happens to live just a short distance away. While hunting in the area one day, he becomes aware of the monster's existence and sets off to warn the Nunnallys, thus beginning a lasting friendship with the family. As the encounters with the creature become more intense and fearing that his friend's failing eyesight might hinder his ability to safely guard his family, Roy takes it upon him himself to track and oh and kill the creature and thus protect the Nunnallys and his own two children. He is drawn into a series of frightening encounters with the Spotsville monster which make clear its terrifying supernatural nature. It can appear and disappear at will. Walk over freshly turned dirt without leaving tracks and no bullet of any caliber can pierce his hide. Mutilated animals are found as well as supposed UFOs glide silently beneath the surface of the nearby Green River. Mm. Local authorities with their own agenda concerning the creature force Roy to turn over all of his evidence and give false statements to the media. After an encounter with the monster which leaves him clinically dead... Roy somehow manages to survive on will alone and succeeds in warning his friends to take his wife and children and flee the area at once. The story ends with a particularly disturbing dream sequence where Roy tells that he discovers the remains of his wife and children savagely violated by the creature and falls victim to it himself. He then awakens with the strong feeling that this story, which is unique and disturbing on many levels, is not over 
Well, okay then. The Spotsville <laughs> Monster. Yeah, really. That is. Uh, I was like, that's a movie script, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, for real. I mean, it's. You need to get on that shit. Um, oddly enough, so Shelby, Shelbyville, Kentucky, where you know my, so family live out there, and mm-hmm. I lived there for a while. Um, there's a there's two main funeral homes in Shelbyville, Kentucky, and one of them is Nunnally Nunnally uh, Funeral Home. Mm-hmm. So. I just it's a big name dude you know it's a big name uh it looks like there's even a statue of the monster in spotsville um that you can see this and they did uh there is a documentary that was done called the spotsville monster kentucky's bigfoot uh it was on an episode of monsters and something or other i can't remember the name of that show that's out there but somebody was talking about how on the uh the big network show the monsters and legends or whatever it was that the sound that the spotsville monster made they were almost certain was just they took the tie fighter sound from star wars mm. <laughs> oh, shit. does the uh does the statue have uh have a butt like the mothman or uh it only shows me from the front so i don't know i don't know figure that out so <laughs> yeah uh, if y'all could send me a 360 picture, that'd be great. I appreciate it. Now I'm going to have to see how far Spotsville is from Somerset since we're going to be there this year. Like, maybe we could pop on down well, to Spotsville. It's, yeah, Henderson, I think, is on the other side. It said it was close to Henderson. So yeah. I think Henderson is, like, down around, like, uh, Hopkinsville or something. So that might be the other side of the state. Well, it said Western Kentucky, so. Yeah. Yeah. But anywho, yeah. Um, oh yeah, Spotsville is yeah is up close. It's up closer to the Ohio River, so it's over west of Owensboro. So yeah, it's actually probably not far from Kelly and stuff like you were just talking about. So. Yep. Weird, weird stuff be happening in that area, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Get out! Get out! Uh, anyways, let's go ahead and move on to our final segment, which is UAP sighting of the week. All right, Josh, what do we got for UAP sighting of the week? Our unidentified aerial phenomenon UFO sighting of the week, which is, uh, you know, every episode we're getting closer to disclosure. So yep. uh, let, let, what do you got? Yeah, so this actually happened um, on May 25th of this year in Brooklyn, New York, um, and uh, it involved a uh, a giant triangular UFO. So something that uh, I didn't think existed outside of like Western United States. So oh, really? Yeah, I, I just always hear about them in like you know Arizona, New Mexico, all that stuff. Sure. Out there. Like, yeah, I I've heard really... of and I've heard of Chevron ones uh, out in the Midwest and stuff. But yeah, and I guess I really haven't heard much on uh, the other side of things. So, it goes like this. I walked out of the supermarket just after 11pm at night and stopped at the zebra crossing waiting to cross. To my right, I noticed three orange lights in the sky in a triangle formation low in the sky, gliding silently northwards. Coming from what appeared to be near the river in Williamsburg towards Manhattan. I instantly pulled out my phone and shot the footage, being sure to keep my hands still and to zoom in. I'm used to seeing planes and helicopters in the area, but this struck me as very unusual, straight away, and having a keen interest in this sort of thing, I knew I had to film it. 
I believed I was watching three separate crafts fly in formation at the time. They were emitting a steady, soft, orange glow. On further inspection of the footage, however, I believe it to be a giant, triangular-shaped craft. It disappears behind the buildings as shown in the video. I then crossed the road and witnessed it more where I could took a brief second video. Another pedestrian was looking at it and exclaimed to me, What the hell is that? After the craft disappeared behind another building, I ran to the end of the road to the intersection of Graham and Metropolitan Avenue and turned north to where I should have been able to see the craft, but it had disappeared out of sight. Which struck me as unusual, as it had only taken me ten seconds or so to run down the road to try and see it. All the time I heard no noise from any planes or helicopters, but obviously there was traffic noise. And I've I've watched the video. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. <laughs> what what do you see? I mean, it it like it it's three points of light in a triangle, you know, type shape, and the three points of light never change their um, relationship to each other. You know, they they pretty much stay in that same formation as it moves across the sky. And I mean, it's dark, like it's nighttime, so you can't you can't see if there is actually a physical craft or not, all you can see is the three lights. And and it's weird because they're, they're like, um, if it is a three-dimensional object, then it's almost positioned in, at like a, either a 90 degrees or like a 45 degree angle to the person. It's almost like a, if you imagine like a, a banking aircraft, you know how the wings kind of come up and it banks to mm-hmm. one side. That's what it would have been like um, but with the, just the three lights visible, and, and it's moving really slow, and they're really spaced out. I, I mean, I don't. In looking at it, I don't think it's an airplane. There are three lights. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's uh, uh, anybody has a MUFON membership, you can go check it out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. Pretty interesting to see um, a triangle shape out there. Um, very, very interesting. Uh, I love that shit, man. Because yeah. I'm out in triangle-shaped city out here, so. <laughs> Especially now, you know, with us seeing those triangle-shaped ones that the uh, Pentagon released or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's very, very interesting as well. So pretty snifty. Pretty snifty, y'all. Um, but yeah, all right. So uh, thank you, Josh, for that UAP yep. sighting of the week. Um, you guys can always send in your own UAP sighting to us as well, to Podcast at gmail.com, or submit that damn sighting on our website, fearscapepodcast.com. All right, Josh, we're going to go ahead and take a very, very brief break, and uh, as soon as we come back, we're going to be talking about the devil made me do it case. Uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about that, so stick around. Hello, Blanket Huggers. Stefan here. On March 28th, 2021, Josh and I received a message through our website's Submit a Sighting form from someone claiming to be Terry R. Rist, the man referenced in Hell Here, and the man interviewed by Alan Greenfield in Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. From there, we received a number of cryptic emails filled with information on places to search for answers to the larger mystery of the quest and journey Josh and I have been on. So we decided, fake or not, we should take it seriously, as much of the information given panned out 
and definitely opened our eyes to many new things. So we enlisted the help of Astral Stew co-host Santosh and Fearscape guest and Greenfield's publisher Olav Phillips. Together the four of us have been digging deeper and deeper into not only the true identity of our source of paranormal gold, whether he is THE Terry Rist or not, but also into the mystery of the information given us. It has led us to some amazing doors into such things as the Secret Space Program, Hollow Earth, Darrow and Tarot, caves, underground bases, government cover-ups and conspiracies, and so much more. So if you would like to learn more about these emails, Terry's advice on where to look for more high strangeness, and our conversations and discoveries thus far, please become a monthly subscriber to our Patreon called Wristwatch at fearscapepodcast.com support or patreon.com slash fearscapepod. There you can get access to the emails themselves, the WhatsApp conversation about it all with Josh, myself, Santosh, and Olaf, and even any new clues that we have found. You can even join the investigation and add anything you have found to help us dive deeper into the mystery. You will also get access to other Fearscape-related things, such as extended interviews with guests not aired on the show, early access to Estes sessions with us and friends, and so much more. Wristwatch is a Patreon exclusive for our most dedicated fans. Join today and discover why the truth is now. And we're back. Thank you guys so much for sticking around after the break. We love you guys very, very much. Uh, thank you guys. Uh, so yeah, I'm super pumped to talk about this, Josh, because I am a huge fan of the Conjuring universe, the Conjuring movies. I know some of them are duds, but I still love them. I love an interconnected horror universe. Um, but the Conjuring movies particularly, I love. Conjuring 1 and 2 were just absolutely phenomenal, and I love that. And so uh, we've had a chance to talk to Andrea Perrin, who was one of the kids from the very first Conjuring movie. We yeah. talked about the uh, the uh, case um, for the second movie, which was the one in England that I can't remember. The, uh, is that the Enfield Haunting? Enfield Haunting. Thank you very much. Um, we talked about that. So let's talk about the third one, man. Let's let's talk about this. Not Arn Anderson from WWF um, <laughs> case, but uh, Arn Cheyenne Johnson, uh, Devil Made Me Do It trial. Let's get ch- crack-a-lacking, man. So what, what's going on here? Yeah, so so first of all, let me say that when I first started looking into this, I thought it was Anne Cheyenne Johnson, and I thought it was a I thought it was a chick, um, but it was not. So it is a guy. Um, but <laughs> any anyway, so because um, the the R and the N kind of run together yeah. a little bit. But anyways, um, so yeah, this in short, I, I'm going to preface it by saying um, he killed someone and then in court uh, used the defense that the devil made him do it. Thank you, and that's our show. We'll see you guys <laughs> next week. Enjoy but, obviously, but obviously there's a lot more to it. <laughs> um, but it is, I mean, so this all took place uh, in, in a small little town called Brookfield, Connecticut. Um, and the actual uh, murder took place on February 16th, 1981. But really, it started um, in the summer of 1980. 
right? And this is not to be confused with the haunting in Connecticut, which is a completely different Warren story. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so in in the summer of 1980, so you've got um, Arn Arn Johnson, and he's engaged uh, to a woman named uh, Debbie Glatzel, a very very good German German Norwegian name Glatzel. Yeah. 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 Um, and she's got a little brother who is about 11 years old, and his name is David. And in the summer of 1980, David uh, claimed that he had repeatedly encountered an old man who would taunt him. So um, immediately I'm thinking of that creepy guy from Family Guy. I'm like, stay away from him. You do <laughs> not want a popsicle in from his basement. Just yeah. Stranger danger. Yeah, really. Uh, watch out for his dog, too. Or, so. ooh, I think of the old man from Poltergeist 2. Ooh, oh, oh, the creepy old man. Oh, <laughs> he messes me up. Caroline. Yeah, I don't get any of these references because I don't watch horror movies. So. There's something wrong with you. Poltergeist <laughs> movies are great. Well, the first one. I mean, I've, I've seen the first one when I was a lot younger. I mean, I, I used to watch horror movies, but they were... Uh, they're too disturbing for me, and they, they mess me up, so I just can't do it anymore. As you got older, they got more disturbing. <laughs> yeah. I feel like as an adult, you should be okay now. Well, it, it, the problem is is that as an adult, I uh, realize, and especially since doing this show, that a lot of this shit has the potentiality of being real, and well, so that it brings a whole new level. The thing is is that most, like paranormal type movies that are out there are loosely based or even slashers are loosely based off of a real story you know much like uh psycho the leatherface movies and uh the town that dreaded sundown uh and maybe one more they were all based off of ed gein um who's the he literally killed women and he created a suit out of skin and had lampshades made out of oh uh uh silence of the lambs that silence was also the lambs. This is, it sounded like that but Poltergeist, I just found out recently. I think I shared this with you. That Poltergeist, I found out, was that there is a real story that inspired Spielberg to make the movie. Huh. But yeah, so I mean, um, bottom line, I don't watch horror movies anymore because I know that most likely that, you know, it's based on some level of, of actual experience. And as we're getting into this kind of stuff, it would be difficult for me to stand around in the woods at night with you and Santosh. Uh, having watched all these horror movies, why do you think I am the way that I am? <laughs> I run? I I I love you, horror movies, but they bother me in real life because. But of you, but you need me. You need me to push me forward towards mm-hmm. the graves. Yeah, because I ain't it, pushing Santosh. He'd right. scratch my eyes out. <laughs> and so, if I watch all the horror movies, that's not. I'm not gonna be able to do that. I'm gonna pass out and push you forward. But yeah, there's a creepy old man who is the yeah. main bad guy in Poltergeist Two, and he is super creepy and has like bothered me since I was a kid. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I think of of seeing a ghostly old man. So, um, so yeah, so you know he repeatedly encountered an old man who would taunt him at first uh johnson and glatzel uh thought uh david was just trying to get out of doing chores you know because i don't want to do my chores so i'm going to invent a story that an old man is taunting me that seems like a logical thing to are do. you kidding me right now like <laughs> 
Okay. Sounds like my I mean, dad. My dad would be like, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you know, I just, every time my dad asked me to do something I didn't want to do, I just had to go to the bathroom. And that's how I would just go. To, like, I'd take a really long shit. So, You've been um, in there for four hours, son. Yeah. I mean, my legs <laughs> fell asleep. I don't know which one to do. <laughs> so, um, so, anyway, so they kind of, you know, initially dismissed it. Um, but the encounters continued and they grew more frequent and more violent. So um, a couple of times, like David would wake up crying hysterically, describing visions of a man with big black eyes, a thin face and animal features, jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns and hooves. Mm, classic, classic Devra. Yeah. Classic. Um, now, this know, is I, something. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, you know, we, we talk about a lot of times how um, things are misinterpreted. And I'm just I'm wondering, like, you know, is this a uh, a satyr, for example, that's mistaken as the devil? Right. So like a pan type creature. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Um, I was thinking, though, too, I'm like, you know, we've talked about this before. You know, like you're like with your girls, you're like, what would I do if they came to me? And yeah. what do we say? Should we believe them? And it's like, had they just believed, let, let's go ahead and just assume right away that this kid is seeing what he's seeing. He's not having mental hallucinations. He's legit seeing what he's seeing. If, if his parents had believed right away, could it have not manifested that further down the road? Because they could have immediately yeah. gone and gotten help. Someone that could have helped well, that spirit from the home. Well, so, I mean, they, they did actually go and ask their uh, priests at a local church mm -hmm. uh, to bless the home. Right. Uh, but that didn't really, didn't really do anything. So, you know, because when there's a, when there's a hooved man uh, taunting your 11-year-old son, there's nothing like, you know, hitting him with some water that's yeah, kind of just. Some water. Um, but anyways, yeah. so. But that's my point. It's like, I think at that point it had time to gain power. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so if they'd have done it right in the very get go, it could have, you know, gotten it, you know, and it's the same well, thing. And, and this is no offense to people like Keith. I love you, Keith. I love you guys and everything you guys do. But I feel like when people um, hire these ghost hunters to come in, they do expect ghostbusters. And, yeah. um, you know, it's like, you're just coming in and going, yep you got something yeah. Bye. and you know or nope you're dumb and uh i don't think that's what people are looking for they're looking for help and i think that that's why people like the warrens were so popular because they weren't just saying hey we're gonna come in and set up film equipment just to see if you're real or not like yeah. we're gonna help we're going to right I oh, said circumcised, but I meant exercise. <laughs> exercise. The demon. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna put him on the elliptical, and he's going to run out of steam. <laughs> yes, and just, that's exactly what I meant. Disapparate. Um, on his so, peloton. And yeah. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, you make a good point um, in that I think that's also why um, the Warrens were given a really long rope as far as, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to, to do things. And so, you know, I mean, there's with every single one of their cases, there's some controversy that, you know, they said they do so they did something, but yet they weren't really empowered to do those things like exorcisms and all of that kind of stuff. So, well, the um, thing about the Warrens is, is that the Warrens still did as much scientific research as possible first. 
you know, as far yeah. as I know. I mean, I never followed them around personally, but from everything I've read, you know, they still did that. They invited folks to do all this stuff, and then they also waited for proof, too. And when they found something, that's when they acted. Yeah. So, um, so this is where, um, actually, so after the church nearby came to bless the home, um, they contacted uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren to see if they could lend a hand. Um, and Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, this is my own opinion, saw dollar signs on the wall. And I'm, just, I'm just playing. <laughs> but about um, about when when was this? So I don't have a timing for when this was. So this is, but this is back when again David is experiencing all this. This is before um, Arn actually got possessed or any of that kind of stuff. This is back when David is just experiencing um, all so of this turmoil. Into the seventies, early. No, this is. So this all started in summer of nineteen eighty. That's what I was asking. Like, when did this all? Start? Okay, I thought you were trying to say when did. Lorraine and Ed. No, no, no. Just I was trying to figure out when, uh, like David started having these these things okay. start happening. Yeah, so. so summer of nineteen eighty. So he's so eleven. Around, so needless, what my point was too is at this point the Warrens had gained fame. Yes. So also uh, an interesting note here, um, you know, there people talk about uh, poltergeist potentially being related to um, uh, people going through puberty. Mm-hmm. David is eleven. In, in at the time that this is happening, so that's you know yeah. pre preteen pure pre puberty. He- if there was any sort of abuse or trauma, I mean that yeah. could exasperate. Yeah, so exasperate it. Um, um, but we've got a we've got a quote here that says that he would kick, bite, spit, swear, um, and he would uh, experienced strangling attempts by invisible hands. Um, and powerful forces would flop him rapidly head to toe like a rag doll. Mm. Um, so Johnson, back to Arn, um, he would actually stay with the family to help however he could. Um, but the, you know, uh, David's nightly terrors began uh, to seep into the daytime as well. And David describes seeing an old man with a white beard dressed in a flannel shirt and jeans. Like a rugged Santa. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as the child's visions continued, suspicious noises started emanating from the attic. Um, David started hissing, having seizures, uh, speaking in strange voices. This is sounding, uh, I mean, not to compare it, but it sounds a lot like Roland Doe. Yeah. I mean, a lot um, of those same things were happening there. Yep. Uh, quoting john milton's paradise lost in the bible oh wow and here's the other thing man anything demon possession related after exorcist always gets like thrown out because they're like oh he just saw exorcist and was just trying to make money off of it so yeah that irritates me so um the warrens reviewed the case and they concluded that this was a case of demonic possession and I do want to put this out here, okay? Uh, you know, I'm not one to usually defend the Warrens because, yes, I, I I, do think that they bent some things sometimes. But I also know there were a lot of cases where they were like, there's nothing happening here. We're sorry. Yeah. Goodbye. And those never get referenced because people are just like, they did all these cases and they just did it all for money. I'm like, yeah, but they also said a lot of cases. No. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so um, they did have David checked out by a number of psychiat- uh, psychiatrists uh, who investigated the case, and they came to the conclusion that David had a learning disability. Hmm. Okay. What does that so, have to do with seeing monsters? Yeah, or speaking in tongues, or yeah, I was like, quote, I... quoting quoting John Milton's Paradise. I mean, where the fuck did that I was like, if he had a learning disability, how was he able to memorize Paradise Lost? Yeah, at eleven. At eleven, right? So because like I know a few of my friends that have learning disabilities or dyslexia or things like that, and that would be extremely difficult as an adult. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know any learning disability that results in hissing, um, <laughs> uh, being, you know, Oh my God, like is that math? Is that, oh, two plus two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, being, it felt like you're being choked by invisible hands. Oh you my know, God. Tossed around like a rag doll. Yeah. So, so anyways, I mean, I, I feel like, um, learning disability is the swamp gas of demonic possessions. <laughs> it's the new swamp gas. It is the weather balloon. Yeah. Um, uh, same thing with making it up for money. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the uh, Warrens uh, claimed that over the course of three subsequent exorcisms oversaw by priests, David levitated, cursed, and even stopped breathing. Okay, so these were uh, non-Ed Warren exorcisms. They actually called in priests for this. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It, it says oversaw by priests. Well, that was a common... Oh, wait, 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 wait. It was oversaw by the priests or oversaw by Ed? Oversaw by priests. Oh, so then Ed did do it. So then. Ed did it. Priests were present. With the help with the priests. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. I take back what I said. <laughs> yeah. Um, it says perhaps even more... Uh, astonishingly, David allegedly predicted the murder that Arn Johnson would eventually commit. Dun dun dun! Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert! Um, by October of 1980, so so then again, it started in summer of 80. So here we are in October of 1980. So this is like what five months? Yeah. Into all this craziness happening. Um, Johnson love it was not. Yeah, Johnson started taunting. The demonic presence, uh, telling it to stop bothering his fiance's brother, uh, quoting here, "Take me on, leave my little buddy alone." Oh my God! Sounds like George Lutz. He did that shit too. Where he would. So, um, it, it says here that. So. Oh, crap! I lost it. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's, I mean that's that George Lutz, Zach Baggins way of. Uh, you know, of, of ghost work. But at that point, I mean, the Warrens were apparently just like, we did three exorcisms. I don't know what else to do. We're going to so go here back it is. to our mansion. Here it is. Here's where I was going to point out. So at some point prior to the murder, Johnson had allegedly investigated a well in the same area where his fiance's brother claimed to experience his first encounter with the malicious presence. So now the we're getting war- into the ring. Yeah. So the Warrens warned Johnson not to go near the same well. But he did anyway, perhaps to see if the demons truly took over his you know, body. Uh, Johnson later claimed that he saw a demon hiding within the well who possessed him until after the murder. I mean, that is a classic myth. There are a number of stories of, of demons or evil entities that do indeed hide in wells. So that's creepy in and yeah. of itself. 
Well, and it, it reminds me of uh, Lock and Key. Uh, oh, yeah, when she was the, hanging out. Yeah, with the, the comic book, too. Um, yeah. But, yeah, very – and the ring, like I said, the ring girl comes yeah. up out that well. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. How's it going again? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so – That's the eight, That's the Japanese version. Yeah. The American so, version goes, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that's the vampire version. <laughs> um, so jumping – a little bit ahead of time a little so um in getting back into the actual murder and, and what happened with the murder spoiler alert um yeah th- there was a murder um, you know in case you didn't know um <clears throat> but so in, again in february 16th 1981 so uh Arne shane johnson um stabbed his landlord now it, it says here that uh, Arn Johnson was um, he he did work as a tree surgeon, um, amputating limbs, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, that is what <laughs> it is. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, his uh, his landlord though, um, Bono, uh, I guess it's B O N O. Would it be Bono or Bono? I mean, it depends on whether it's you two or if it's Sonny and Cher. <laughs> um, maybe it's Bono. Um, anyways, but yeah, I would say Bono. Yeah, his it, yeah, his um, his man, his uh, landlord Bono Bono managed a kennel. Uh, the two were purportedly friendly and often met up near the kennel. Uh, Johnson even sometimes uh, calling into sick in order. Uh, to work in order to do so but on february 16 1981 a vicious argument broke out between them at around 6 30 p.m johnson suddenly drew out a pocket knife and aimed it at bono bono was stabbed multiple times in the chest and stomach and then was left to bleed to death oh with a pocket knife Ugh. Is it a Swiss Army knife, maybe? Yeah, know. pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it dep- I mean, there's some big pocket knives yeah. out there. Don't get me wrong. That's true. You know, I mean, would you consider a you know, your Rambo knife a pocket knife? <laughs> yeah. If you could fit it in your pocket, it's exactly. a pocket knife. <laughs> I mean, this is Connecticut, so I'm gonna say Swiss Army knife. Yeah. <laughs> this was Kentucky. I'm like, oh man's got yeah. a Bowie knife. Bowie his, knife. Yeah. He's got a freaking uh, foldable machete in his yeah. pocket. Yeah. Really. <laughs> um, like. My brother used to always have those all those. Yep. But um so at some point, um oh sorry. The uh so the police uh later uh arrested um uh, Johnson about an hour after it all happened. Um and they said that uh the two men had simply been fighting over Johnson's fiance Debbie. Mm. Uh but the Warrens insisted there was more to the story. Okay, so at this point, we've got two separate stories because we got the story with the kid seeing the devil and him seeing the devil in the well. Then we have this completely separate case that may have nothing to do with that of him getting into a fight with his friend slash landlord, Alan Bono, and stabbing this man to death, possibly, uh, which we said over uh, his wife. So maybe a guy was trying to fiance or fiance or whatever. Um, And but the Warrens said, hmm. So a little bit more here. If if we are, and I'm gonna, this is very speculative. Okay, so this is just me 
thinking about things. If we are to assume, based on what it says here in the article, that he and his landlord were friends. Uh, Johnson, it says, would call and work sometimes in order to hang out with his landlord at his kennel, right? So they're friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, Johnson has now spent the last, uh, let's call it seven months, eight months, dealing with the craziness of his fiance's brother. Right. So I would imagine that Bono is probably like, why are you still with her? Is this really worth it? I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And so probably, they get into he's the, probably going to him about everything. Right. And so, you know, the, the stress and the strain of having to deal with all this over the last seven or eight months. And then you're, you know, you know, seemingly best friend in the world, so to speak. If you're calling in work for to hang out with somebody, that's a pretty good friend. Um, maybe he starts questioning how much and more of this are you going to take? You know, is she really worth it? You know, you should just walk away. They get into a big heated argument about it. And Debbie, um, um, I don't think we've mentioned this, but Debbie worked for Bono as well as a dog groomer. Okay. So there may be some of that in there as well. Yeah. I mean, could I mean, there's there's a there's, hundred there's things a lot of things wrong. Right. dealing right. with money and friendship and yeah. rent and demon possession. <laughs> yeah, or, or a good combo, or just at a minimum, you know, his the you know soon to be brother-in-law uh and all the then all the, just the craziness that that's happening around that so mm-hmm. um you know trying to be there for your fiance and and, and and all the craziness that she's dealing with with everything and, and so on and so forth so i mean <clears throat> I, I could see him confiding in bono and bono saying hey, hey man you know what are you just gonna like you know fish or cut bait you know so yeah um but anyway so he um Let's see. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, something that I read, too, was, of course, you know, after all of that, um, the precognition and all the crazy stuff, especially about the murder and all that uh, around that time in October, like we said, you know, the Warrens contacted the police. I mean, so, I mean, it's like you've already got this man now on the radar. Yeah. um, And then he ends up killing somebody. And it just uh, if I was the police, I'd be like. I mean, they already said there was a problem. This is all right. open and shut. <laughs> right. <clears throat> well, and that's what, and honestly, that's what they said, you know, the police thought was going to happen. Um, but then Johnson's attorney, Martin Manella, um, tried his best to enter a plea of not guilty by reason of demonic possession. Uh, he even planned to subpoena the priests who allegedly attended the exorcism urging them to break tradition by speaking about their controversial rights. Um, over the course of the trial, Manila and the Warrens were routinely mocked by their peers who saw them as profiteers of tragedy. Um, I, I've, got a, I've got a quote here from mentalist George Kresge. It says, they have an excellent vaudeville act, a good road show. It's just that this case more involves clinical psychologists than it does them. Um, so there's a, so I was looking at this article here and it talked about um, that day was even more so uh, happened um, because it talks about here that Johnson called in sick that day uh, to, uh, to go. He actually was going to join Debbie at the kennel 
Um, and his sister Wanda was there. And of course, Debbie's nine-year-old cousin Mary was also there. Bono, the couple's landlord and Debbie's employer at the kennel, bought the group lunch at a local bar and proceeded to drink heavily. So this is something that gets missed a lot, was the fact that they were all drinking, especially mm. Johnson. Um, after lunch, the group returned to the kennel. Debbie then took the girls to go get pizza. Um, and insisted they return quickly because she was having a premonition of trouble. When they returned, Bono was super intoxicated at this point. (laughs) Um, He became agitated. Everyone left the room at Debbie's urging except Bono, who seized Mary, the nine-year-old little cousin, and refused to let go. Johnson headed back to the apartment and ordered Bono to release Mary. Wanda, uh, this is what Wanda, the um, sister of Debbie, told, or excuse me, uh, Johnson's uh, sister told police. She said that uh, Mary ran for the car as Debbie attempted to mitigate the situation by standing between the two men. Wanda tried in vain to pull Johnson away. Johnson began growling like an animal. Then drew it, it was so it's a five inch pocket knife and stabbed Bono repeatedly. Uh, and then Bono died there. So, yeah. um, so yeah, so it looks like they were a little drunk too. And I feel like that gets lost a lot. Yeah. Um, was that they were both intoxicated heavily. Well, and then he have, snatched up this little girl. But like, don't be snatching up a little girl. Right. Yep. Well, and and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting here about, you know, Johnson's attorney made a statement. Um, the courts have dealt with the existence of God. Now they're going to have to deal with the existence of the devil. Right. <laughs> because that's what we're getting to is the yeah. trial because where he claimed that the devil made him do it. Right. So. Um, now, you know, the judge um, did ultimately um, throw out the plea. So this is Judge Robert Callahan. Uh, he, he, he rejected the plea, plea, basically saying that such a defense would be impossible to prove and that any testimony on the matter was unscientific and thus irrelevant. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> um, oh, Lord. It says here that the collaboration of four priests during the three exorcisms was never confirmed and the diocese of Bridgeport acknowledged their priest worked uh, on helping David Glatzel during the difficult time. So they, they basically said, yeah, we helped, but we're not going to tell you if we did an exorcism or not. <laughs> Lord. Um, it says that the priest in question, meanwhile, were ordered not to speak on the matter publicly. I just don't understand why that is. I mean, I I guess, you know, confession is sacred and protected or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't, but I, don't, I guess I don't understand. You're not it's not legally lawyers have you know client lawyer privilege but i don't know how you would is there a legal precedent for priests i think they're i think it's the same i mean i like it's very similar to doctor patient they they do not have to um if they're I think I've always heard that like if someone confesses a murder they have to but then I've heard the other side of things as well that they don't hmm. um, I, I think legally it's on religious grounds and they can't so but yeah. I'm not, I don't know that for maybe it's a maybe it, maybe it comes into question of would it be 
um, you know, some sort of religious persecution um, if the legally you forced people to admit to something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I'm know. not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. Any lawyer listening to the show that would like, to like <laughs> I would love to know about it. But um, so we've got a uh, so Reverend Nicholas Greco, G R I E C O, uh, kind of like Geico. But I was thinking Richard Greco. Yeah, Greco, I guess. But um, a diocese spokesperson said no one from the church has said one way or the other what was involved, and we declined to say. Hmm. So then it makes you wonder, did an official exorcism happen, right? It was like off the books. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, I'm not getting so Pope is going to smack me. I can't. I can't be doing this. Um, so Johnson's lawyers were permitted to examine Bono's clothing. Uh, the lack of any blood rips or tears, they argued, could help support the claim of demonic involvement. However, no one in the court was convinced. Wait, what? So there was no blood on this man's shirt? No. Yeah, it says lack of any blood, rips, or tears. Uh, now I'm confused. I'm like, this man was how stabbed you, how, how you many get, times? How you get, yeah, well, it, it says at least five. And there's no tears. There's no blood, but he's dead. Yeah, I don't, there would have to, I mean, unless maybe he was shirtless. <laughs> he was Matthew McConaughey in it. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> in October. I, I don't know how you would have. Uh, I mean, February, like, because if you if you get stabbed, there's gonna be, you know, where the knife goes in. I mean, it's, yeah, that's unless, dumb. Unless it's a dull knife and somehow it's stabbed with the shirt, you know, I mean, like yeah. it caught the shirt and stabbed. Um, I don't know. Somebody washed that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was the shirt he was wearing. Yeah, um, they this went was to their, their local Woolworths <laughs> and got a copy. Um, so Johnson's legal team opted for a self-defense plea, ultimately. Um, and Johnson was convicted on first-degree manslaughter on November 24th, 1981, and sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison. Yeah. He, but he only served about five. Yeah, it's crazy because, yeah, so again... Here it shows that Bono died several hours later, um, so maybe he cleaned up. Um, but he he it says that these wounds, mostly to his chest, and one that stretched from his stomach to the base of his heart. Yeah. So something ain't right there. Um, but yeah, Johnson was discovered two miles away from the site of the murder, um, and like just. <laughs> Maybe this, maybe this is all kinds of without the whole devil aspect. This is already some true crime shit that we need well, to get the girls from Ghosts in the Attic on. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm wondering here if this article says we're permitted to examine Bono's clothes. I wonder if that should have been Johnson's clothes. Maybe Johnson's clothes didn't have any blood rips or tears. Right now, that that yeah. I can I can I can I can. So maybe it's just a misstatement here in yeah. the article. So. Um, so it says that uh, so kind of moving on to um, let's call it popular culture involved right in because even before popular culture I mean like I don't know if you mentioned this or not but I mean literally the day after the murder Lorraine Warren was the first one to say to the police that Johnson was possessed at the time of the crime yeah well I mean and, you, which led of course Debbie to be like oh yeah he would like 
get into trance-like states. He would growl and hallucinate and have no memory of it. But none of this happened until after the Warrens. Yeah. Until Lorraine said he was possessed. Well, and that's and that's why I started tonight talking about all the stuff that was going down with David because mm-hmm. all that predates the murder, and so you know you really the Warrens did not get involved with Johnson's case. They were involved with David's case. Right. And then Johnson committed the murder. And so they were already there involved. With oh yeah. I mean, he huge media blitz happened. Um, and it was fueled in part by the Warrens who loved the cameras and, uh, their agents had already promised that lectures, a book, and even a movie detailing the case were already in the works. Yeah. Within the, the weeks of the trial like they were right. already but my, you know but but my point is is that they were already there working with david yeah and then this shit happened yep and it wasn't they, like they they came in specifically for yeah this. and so they i mean they coined this as the demon murder trial um it looks like uh martin manella who was johnson's lawyer said that he received calls from all over the world people asking about the demon murder trial i mean he even traveled to england to meet with lawyers uh because there was a similar case which i wanted to uh quickly just say real quick of michael taylor that happened uh in 1974 that was he claimed demonic possession so that happened in 1974 um in england there so then you had some other cases that like all of a sudden people were like wait what yeah we can well that's what and that's what this was the first time that it had happened in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, and what's really I don't remember if I said this early on or not, but that that little town that that uh, where all this took place in Connecticut, this was the first murder in 193 years wow. since the establishment of the town. Um, yeah, so. it's just crazy. I mean, it's like right off the bat. His lawyer was like, I want to submit a plea of not guilty by virtue of possession. (laughs) Like, like, right off the bat, man. Like, didn't even, wasn't even like, you know, Your Honor, we want to take some time to talk. He's like, he was possessed by the devil. Uh, Lorraine Warren said so. (laughs) And um, and, and I think that, so David Glatzel, brother of Debbie, uh, also had, they had another brother named Carl. Um, and he ended up actually uh, uh, suing yeah. um, the guy who uh, wrote the book, The Devil in Connecticut. Gerald Brittle, yeah. Gerald Brittle, um, allegedly, alleging that it violated his right to privacy. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on, man, because, uh, you know, you've got that, you've got the jury. They're told they can't even consider demonic possession in any way, shape, or right. form, um, and uh, they were legally not allowed to consider it. Um, so the defense had to go with the uh, self defense, which you know is crazy on that. Um, and so the dude was sentenced ten to twenty years in prison. He only served five. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you got all this stuff, like all this money flowing in, because you you know, and Gerald Brittle's getting sued because his book's doing well. <laughs> well, he's getting sued because he wrote about all this, which brought all this un- all this other attention onto right. the thing. He did it with Lorraine Warren, right? You know, right. like not not with the family. <laughs> Right. With Lorraine. <laughs> um, That's probably why Lorraine was like, you know what? You go ahead and write this one. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, and, and, and so Carl also claimed that it was all an intentional affliction of emotional distress. Um, and he said that the whole thing was a hoax created by the Warrens mm. to take advantage of his brother's mental health for money. Oh, so uh, now he's mentally messed up. Well, I don't, I don't, I mean, we don't know what Carl ever thought through the entire thing. So I don't want to say that Carl. Well, I'm just saying here, here now is this excuse that he had to be mentally disturbed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, like I said, Johnson served for about five years in prison. Uh, he was released in 1986. Um, and he actually married his fiance while he was behind bars. So she stuck by him. Yep. And uh, as of the writing of this article, which uh, was in 2014, they were still together. Hmm. Have we contacted him? No. (laughs) You know, he's going to be all Uh, over the media right now. I know. Um, But no, it's interesting that I want to know, A, what happened to David? And B, like, she was the one that was like, he would just, he would start growling and go crazy and do all this stuff. And then he murdered someone. And then she's like, yes, we still need to be together. Well, it, it says here that she maintains an interest in the supernatural and claims that Arn's biggest mistake was challenging, in quotes, the beast that possessed her younger brother. It's mm, crazy. It says that um, you never take that step. This is, again, she, her speaking. You never challenge the devil. Arn started showing the same signs my brother did when he was under possession. Hmm. Interesting. I have so, so many questions. <laughs> I'm like, did, did she move from the house? Was it attached to the house? Like the Smurl haunting? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, did it follow them? Like, what happened? Or is this a situation where they had a dog die at the kennel and they buried it underneath an old tree and it opened the gate to hell? Oh, wait. Oh, wait. That's a movie, too. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's called The Gate. It is The Gate. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> so. Yeah. With Stephen, see, I, a young Stephen Dorff. See, I used to watch. I used to watch it. I just don't anymore. <laughs> That's a great one. That's not even a horror, man. That's just an '80s awesome. I don't know is. those those little dudes that like come out of the, the out of the wall. Those are pretty yeah. pretty. I just love funny. the nerdy kid that's into death satanic metal. That's my favorite. And then when like when the when the thing grabs the grabs the kid and like he opens his hand up and he's got a freaking eyeball in his hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty freaky too. That's a good one. Yeah, there's a sequel to that too the gate too yeah I, I think i watched it too but <laughs> the house the ha- house two was was always the best for me oh yeah house two is is the best black comedy on the market hands down <laughs> freaking hilarious he's <laughs> like what is this a cigarette lighter <laughs> anyways i'm sorry I'm- dude there's a good crossover episode for uh fearscape and uh mysteries of the dark we should have you come on and do house two yeah because both both lance and i love house yeah two. so all right so that pretty much uh, uh wraps uh what i was able to find about um what's going on with uh mr johnson yeah so uh, you know i'll go on a little bit more um so you've got carl you know like who sued 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 and then he wrote his own book so he wrote his own book in 2007 called uh, Alone Through the Valley about his version of the events surrounding his brother. So I find it really funny that you're like, oh, I need to sue you because there's money to be made here. Um, 
And then uh, Lorraine, of course, defended her work, saying that there were six priests who were involved in the incident, and they agreed at the time that the boy was possessed. Um, and then Brittle, author of The Devil in Connecticut, says he wrote the, the book because the family wanted the story told uh, that Debbie and them gave him permission um, and that he says to this day, I don't know if he's alive anymore, but till uh, from what I'm reading, this yeah. says that he has video of over 100 hours of interviews with the family uh, and that they all signed off on this book as accurate before it went to print. Um, but the big thing that Carl got the most mad about is that um, it made it look like there was criminal and abusive acts that happened mm -hmm. and that really bothered him. Uh, Glatzel's father, Carl Sr., denies telling the author that his son was possessed. Johnson and Debbie, like we said, are now married. They wholeheartedly support the Warrens' account of demonic possession, uh, especially because they're probably getting paid for the movie that's coming out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, and, and, you, and I think we, we talked about it a little bit before we actually started doing the show tonight, uh, but there was another movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. It had like Andy Griffith in it. Yes, yes, yes. So we got the demon murder case, which is, man, I miss TV movies. Oh, I miss the old TV movies from the 70s and 80s. I watch a lot of them, especially the horror ones. They were great. They were groundbreaking and they rode, they skirted the line. Um, but the, the demon murder case was on NBC. And yeah, it had uh, Kevin Bacon in it, Cloris Leachman and uh, Andy Griffith. Um, and I have got to find this movie because I want to watch it so I, bad called The Demon Murder Case. And this was 1983. So this was only two years later. I feel like without even knowing, Andy Griffith probably either played the judge or um, probably the like the defense attorney. Yeah, I was like a lawyer. This is this is yeah. pre um, Matlock. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I I need to see. I'm gonna check IMDb real quick. Um, but yeah, very. There's a lot. I'm really excited about this movie because just like we talked about, it is very famous for being the the very first "The Devil Made Me Do It" um, type case. So very very cool. Uh, the demon murder case. Yeah. Oh my God, I love Andy Griffith, man. <laughs> well, I, I, and I, you know, it's funny because I, I uh, remember watching when I was younger in Syndicate the Andy Griffith show, mm -hmm. and then of course watched Matlock uh, years later. But he was in a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't, you know, I never really realized when I was younger. But I, when I got older, and you know, the advent of the internet, um, I could look up all the things that Andy Griffith did, and he, he was in a lot of stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure who he plays because they changed all the names. Um, but I'm looking here. I mean, this freaking uh, poster for this is is insanely beautiful. Um, but it has it. Not only does it have the people I mentioned, but also has Eddie Albert, who was uh, your main dude from um, oh, what's the name of that show? Green Acres. So the main guy from Green Acres, yep. he's in it. Um, he plays Father Dietrich, so he plays like one of the main priests. The priests. I mean, Richard Macer is in this. Uh, God, I mean, this is a stellar cast for the time. Um, definitely gonna have to try to find a copy of this. Uh, somewhere. Stellar cast, 
mediocre rating. No, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's got a 4.8 out of 10 on IMDb. <laughs> but, I mean, those TV movies always do. Yeah. But, yeah, I want to check that out. Um, but, yeah, thank you, Josh, for doing the work there and putting into this. What a what an amazing, uh, just crazy set of events. God, I, I would love to have just been at that trial you know where they would just try to insert things here there where they could and you'd hear objection we said we can't use the demon um uh, also really when i was looking into uh detail around it um i actually found that it's actually referenced on several uh college uh law department oh yeah you had mentioned that yeah. yeah um so i mean it's it's i mean it is a uh, from a law study perspective, um, I'd imagine it's an interesting case to study. Um, and uh, the other thing I was going to say, it would be interesting to know, I, I think you have to have a like a newspapers.com account in order to do this, but to go back and look at newspapers from the time that have been digitized. Uh, hey, our like, friend, the theologian, accidentally got charged for a whole nother year, so maybe we can use his account. <laughs> we can use, he'll loan it to us. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, but you know, that's that's always a good little place to look at uh, and see the newspaper clippings and things like that from the time. It was really interesting to see. Yeah, so I'm I'm interested. Like I said, I would love to see what David Glatzel like feels about it today. What's going on with him? Uh, and things like that. I, I haven't been able to find anything, but I'm sure once this movie drops, we're going to be seeing a lot I more mean, news stories with them researching and looking into stuff. So, I mean, I'm not going to lie. If I was David Glatzel, I would have changed my name. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> because, you know, at 11, I mean, at, at 11, although this was going on, get the whole rest of your life to look forward to and then this is going to hang over you because your last name is associated with it so i just i don't know i I probably would have changed my name i mean yeah i don't know it just it depends to me you know how he feels about it because you know does he feel like it really happened to this day or does he feel like he maybe made it up did he go to therapy and the therapist told him that it was made up you know i'm like i don't know i don't know (laughs) i mean i don't know and and I wonder how much, and you'll have to tell me because I'm not going to watch it, but I wonder how much the movie will go into David's aspect of the story. I don't know. I'm looking forward to it, though, because the kid that plays David Glatzel is the kid that's from uh, the House on Haunted Hill uh, first season. This kid's amazing. I mean, he's such a great actor, um, and it does look like they are using the names um, of the Glatzels here. Uh, I don't see Bono in here, but I do see a Bruno. So I'm thinking maybe his family didn't sign off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably what happened there. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I think this is going to be a pretty good movie. I love the Conjuring films. I mean, they they gave us ghost movies again uh, after so long with slashers and teeny boppers. We finally got you know really good ghost stories again, and that's why I like it so much. Now, I like I like the movie The Others. Does that count as a ghost movie? Oh hell yeah, hell okay. yeah! That's a great movie. Um, see, I could I could get you onto some uh, films that are horror, but not necessarily considered horror. Uh, but they have paranormal elements to them. Yeah. So, 
yeah i think you'd like the conjuring movies they're really good um but anyways yeah i guess we'll go ahead and get out of here um you know this is at, in in no way shape or form are they a sponsor but check out the conjuring three like we said it, it premieres friday it's going to be on hbo max as well as movie theater i'm going to the theater to watch this bad boy and i even have hbo max um but yeah check that out there you know do your own research that's what we always say do your own research you know find the truth on your own we're not going to you know. say one way or the other um you know we're not going to fight you know we may occasionally like i do over amityville but <laughs> but this you know this most things we say you know come at it how you will and do your own research and i yeah. like i said pay attention to the media because i think we're going to be seeing a lot of interviews with some of the people here soon uh going over the true stories of things so yeah very very interesting to see um but again josh thank you so much all right, so uh, great, good times. Uh, we're going to get out of here. Um, but before we go, I wanted to uh, just very briefly, again, remind people, uh, if you're interested uh, in uh, supporting uh, Fearscape, um, you know, there's a number of ways you can do that. You can go to fearscapepodcast.com slash store. Uh, or shop I think both work um, yep. and or even to the media one and then you can find all sorts of stuff t-shirts cups mugs all kinds of stuff uh, uh, misters of the dark we've got four different designs that are up right now that uh, Lance the man with no name uh, created and they're fantastic Just check that out we've got all sorts of different designs that are up I uh, know the girls from ghosts in the attic bodies in the basement they got some stuff all that goes to help the network or to help our show uh, the other way is by joining our patreon which we uh, named wristwatch because the majority of it is of course us digging into the mystery of these emails that we've gotten from someone claiming to be Terry wrist, um, which has, we've gotten some new ones since yep. the last time we were here, uh, two, two or three new ones, two um, new ones that have really opened some, uh, some, some leads up that have just made some connections and done some things. Uh, that's mind blowing. Uh, and, and, and really, um, solidified our uh, direction of thinking that we were already kind of going down based on the previous yeah so we're really so. getting into a lot of like um you know the the underground bases and yeah and things like that but some of it's actually pointing not far from myself and olav it's kind of almost in between the two of yeah. us one of the areas that um uh, he sh who shall not be named um, has pointed us in with some specific coordinates, some specific directions, uh, all yep. sorts of stuff that has led us to some stuff. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, and uh, if you guys want to join the investigation, we just don't have time to talk about it on here. And it's a great way to help support our show. Go to uh, fearscapepodcast.com slash support or go to patreon.com slash fearscapepod. And, um, you, you know, you can join there and uh, you join in on the investigation. Plus, there's going to be all kinds of behind the scenes stuff for the, yep. you know, it's not just the Terry Riss stuff. There's lots, lots of other stuff that we're going to be sharing on there uh, over time and all that jazz. So anyways, wanted to get out of here. But uh, before we go, wanted to quickly talk about our listener story. We got a couple in and I wanted to share one of them. Uh, you can send in your listener story to uh, fearscapepodcast at gmail.com. I also know that the the ladies from Ghosts in the Attic, Bodies in the Basement, they're also looking for listener stories uh, and it is okay. You can share it to both. Um, we do have two different demographics, so it's okay. Um, but anyways, yeah. So the, fir the first one that I have here comes from uh alberto 
uh, a listener from Texas, and this is what Alberto has to say. So I had a near-death experience once. I died and, and I came back to life. I had a heart attack uh, in my living room, and um, I, I feel like my soul detached from my body, and it flew up out of my body, and then I was there in this black void tunnel. I was, I was scared. Then I saw this bright, colorful, um, golden, radiant light at the end of a dark tunnel. And so I flew to it. And it, it was this portal, and it, it, it took me back to my living room. But I wasn't in my body. I was floating above my body, near the ceiling. I was just watching myself sit there in the chair. I was floating for, I think, five minutes. And then the strangest thing happened. A, a golden flying saucer type object or something came near me and shot something at my soul flying in the air and immediately my soul dropped back into my body and I was back in my body and it felt like these radiant lights were just coming out of my eyes and then I woke up and back to life and found myself sitting in my chair I don't know what happened but that's what I recall. Well, I actually got uh, cold chills during that entire thing. <laughs> it chills over my body. That was yeah, I, I just uh, something I've never seen um, in in a at, like out of body experience is some sort of like golden saucer shaped thing that shot something at yeah. him, sending him back to his body. Like oh. What I mean, happened? I, I mean, it's almost kind of like the the traditional "it's not your time" uh, yeah. type message that yeah. that people get. In um, I, I wonder, I, I've heard of accounts where uh, people get that "it's not your time" message from past loved ones or from other things. So I wonder if right. if, per, if perhaps Alberto is 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 really into UFOs. And that was the symbolism used to tell him it's not your time. Or these are the ancient gods. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, these are the ancient gods that are saying, you can't come to our dimension yet. You, it's not time. Somehow you have used your astral body or whatever it may be to flip to this dimension, but you're not supposed to be here. Right. It's so. not time yet. And it makes you wonder how much is our soul or our astral body connected to our life force. You know, it's like if if we are gone from our body, you know, with it just coming back, can that bring us back to life? I mean, the man said he had a heart attack. So it's like, yeah. you know, can that bring us back to life? Or the if, re-entry. if we yeah. astral travel too long, can we lose our life you know or you know this is gonna sound silly but it's, you know it's like when you die in your dream you can die in real life well it's like you know what if you're astral traveling and and something happened i mean i don't know if anything can happen that's a santosh question yeah it's like let's say something happens and you're in a battle or something and and 
you dissipate? Do you, does your body die too, or what? No, in, in five seconds, uh, you rematerialize and you start back over at your last checkpoint. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you respawn. You respawn. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Anyways, let's get out of here, Josh. I just want to thank everyone for listening as usual. I think we will also next week have an Astral Stew episode coming out on YouTube, so make sure to check that out. Um, we're going to be talking about demons, oddly enough. <laughs> didn't even think about that yeah um but yeah so make sure to check that out on youtube and uh you know just support you know your local or not your local but our podcast at the fearscape media network you can go to fearscapemedia.com all that stuff check out all the other pods and uh let's get out here uh thank you this has been stefan uh here at the fearscape podcast paranormal poopity do uh with the fearscape um i love you keith age and uh this has been stefan keep your eyes to the skies this has been Josh. The truth is now. This is the Jersey Devil. No, no. You do not get a sign off. Remember, <laughs> folks, hold those blankets extra tight. Things tend to get spooky when you're listening to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. Good night. We hope you have enjoyed this guidepost on the road of high strangeness with us. And we thank you, as always, for listening and joining our caravan to the weird and unknown. Please consider supporting us as we continue our journey to find the answers we all seek. Fearscapepodcast.com forward slash support.